Welcome to the Materialist Podcast, mini episode, mini sode two. <laughs> Nigel here from FPAN Central, bringing you another episode of What's on Nigel's Shelf, <laughs> um, where I'm examining some of the objects that I surround myself with on a daily basis. My wife and I have these shelves in our house that have all kinds of different things on there, but lots of ceramic objects, modern art ceramic objects. What I thought would be great is to look at some of these objects a little bit more closely, speak to some of the artists that made the work, and, you know, bring you very short interviews um, about some of these things, you know, and basically sticking to the same theme of all the materialist podcasts, do objects have agency? And so we're examining these via the lens of some of our art ceramic personal collection. And so episode two is featuring uh, a very close friend of mine um, and former professor Matt Long. So here is my interview with Matt. Thank you for joining me on the Materialist Podcast. Thanks, Nigel. My name is Matt Long, and I, uh, I'm a professor at the University of Mississippi, and I've been here for 15 years. I've been a potter for 37. Wow. Uh, which is, seems like an awful long time. I <laughs> would think I'm, I'd be better at this by now. <laughs> yeah. I still make a lot of bad work, it seems. Well, that's good, though, right? That's part of the deal. Yeah, it, it is. Actually, it's a pretty important part of the deal. So, Matt, the reason I wanted to speak to you is the whole theme of my little series of mini episodes is we have these shelves in our living room that have a bunch of work on them. And now that I'm kind of uh, stuck in one spot for a long time, I wanted to explore these particular objects that I surround myself with. Many objects that I do have are made by you. Listeners out there, uh, Matt was, I wouldn't hesitate to say for a second that he was my ceramic mentor. He kind of brought me up in the ceramic world and taught me the, the importance of the handmade object and craftsmanship. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the objects that you make? Well, thanks for that accolade. <laughs> of course. I first feel uh, fortunate to have had uh, the opportunities to have students like you that are reasonable human beings in the world. And, <laughs> and I know that you, we can take that with a grain of salt if people know you at all. I'm happy to have the opportunities like this to be a part of other people's lives and, uh, and be a positive uh, attribute to that. Yeah. For so sure. the, the, the work that I make, um, I've always been a potter, first of all. So um, the, the objects that interest me are utilitarian objects. So, you know, cups and bowls and plates and teapots and, you know, the whole gamut of things that we uh, put in our, our daily lives and uh, share with others and do all those things that seem, seem to be probably some of the most important things in our lives as humans. I work in porcelain primarily, but I, you know, I still make uh, large scale objects that are about function, but that are not functional. Mm -hmm or that are not of utility, those works are usually in stoneware. And the majority of my work, of course, is uh, soda-fired, um, and then the rest of it is wood-fired. And so those two processes are, um, are specific, and some of parts of those processes lead to parts of uh, why I teach and uh, how I teach, and, and have been uh, very good tools to, uh, I think, assist students with 
moving forward in the world just as human beings, right. not even artists or potters or whatever you want to call yourself. Those things have always led to that. So the very earliest ceramic objects that were made in this this country were utilitarian. Um, and so we're, we're kind of at this position now in the 21st century that we can go to Walmart, we can go to any given store and pick up perfectly functional utilitarian objects. But there's still people like yourself um, that are, are continuing to make functional ceramics like bowls. Do you feel that you are part of that continuation of using this material that is clay from the earliest kind of exploration of the material? Do you feel part of that? Do you feel connected to those early makers in some way just through the material? Well, that, that's a two-part answer, sort of, and it could be three or four parts, but I'll try to get it into <laughs> first part's no to your question, because the, originally pots are made out of the need to survive. You know, if you can't put water in your body and you can't, you can't store that water and you can't store grains and food and those sort of things in some capacity that doesn't kill you if you don't catch it at the right time, you're all going to die. Mm. So, you know, that, that need was, was a real need. So no on that front, because we don't really have that need that way. Like you said, we go to the Walmart. However, we still have a need. And, and the need's not necessarily the utility of an object for our survival. The need is actually has to do with remaining grounded in the world. The things that really, you know, the things that are the most important to us. I, I would just tell you this little thing that right now may be the the most apropos time to even talk about this, right? Yeah. Here we are amidst COVID-19. You're in Florida. I'm in Mississippi. All of my students are where they live. Mm -hmm. They're not in my classroom right now. Mm -hmm. And something that is helping us is what we're doing, which is using the Zoom. <laughs> and so we can see each other and talk and do all that stuff, right? But th there's a huge disconnect here. And I've noticed it's really clear with my students and it and what, what it's not doing is satisfying this human contact thing. So it reminds me of like maybe why ceramics is so important, you know, like ceramics, maybe it exemplifies what it is that we love and desire about one another. Um, it's something that's real. It's tangible, which comes down to the hand, the discussion about mm -hmm. the human hand and what the hand provides, not just art. And maybe it seems right now that it's really the most important thing. You know, like maybe even perhaps uh, as, as important as water is for our body, clay might be to our soul. Mm, that's and deep. The, I th well, I think the soul part is what is being extracted at the, this moment. We can't cultivate it. Everything that we're doing right here with each other is uh, maybe not even real. Yeah. You know, so those sort of things, uh, those are big, those are big things. And an interesting part is that clay is one of those materials that records everything that happens to it, right? So all these things that I'm trying to get a coffee cup to do is a record that my hands have produced in the material that's been frozen in time. And we know that by seeing cave walls being painted. We know that by the Venus of Willendorf. We know that by all the history that we know about ceramics and the touch of, of uh, culture and how cultures put that information into their work, whether it's religious or uh, about their deities or about their politics or, you know, you can look at the Greek culture and see a really great example of an empire that, that utilized ceramics in um, such a way that included all of those things. That was the importance of the object in that culture. Right, right, yeah. 
and now we live in a pretty strange time. You know, we're in a throwaway sort of culture where people, I think, mostly confuse uh, convenience in life for quality of life. And <clears throat> so that convenience is like the Walmart and um, the ready-made, the plastic cups that we use all the time, the styrofoam cups and those sort of things, which do what we need them to do. They provide that utility. Uh, just like back in the beginning of time, there was that need for something utilitarian to, to so serve our bodies yeah. and our food and all those things. But, you know, you don't, you don't bring people to your house on Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's Eve with your friends or your family, the people you care the most about, and pull out paper plates. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. you bring out the best things. And why do you do that? You know, it's like we do these sort of things to enhance our lives. Mm -hmm. And that enhancement can come from an object. That object has the ability to, to, to bridge that gap. Yeah. And so what you're sort of talking about is ceremony in that there's ceremony in the everyday object, right? It's, it's, it's I have a, a cup here. Perfect. Yeah. Generic ceramic mug produced by the quadrillion. It functions per perfectly well, but I also choose to use a handmade cup when I drink my coffee in the morning. I think utilizing the handmade ceramic object by choice is to some degree um, uh, elevating the object of utility to a special level. What, what do you think? Well, I think what you're talking about is um, ritual. Yeah. Uh, what's born out of ritual is habit and what's born out of habit is style, you know? So, um, you know, if you go to church on Sunday, then, uh, then you go to church every Sunday, probably. <clears throat> and if you don't, then that's not part of your habit, you know, mm -hmm. and that's not a ritual that you were taught. So I think that these, I think these objects, what they do is they are a, a reminder, really. Um, they're a reminder for you to be present, like in the moment, you know, you don't get up uh, and go to Thanksgiving dinner uh, wearing your studio clothes, right? You know, you don't really do that. You change your clothes, you get cleaned up, comb your hair, probably shave, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and put on something nice, right? And everybody is dressed something nice, so that's the first thing you get to talk about is how nice people are dressed. Yeah, interesting. So yeah. you start to gather these things about people that are real, like you know, you, I know you like to wear black shirts. You do it all the time. I do. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you walked in one day and you had a blue shirt on, <laughs> I would think, what's going on, Nigel? You know, what are you, what are you doing wearing a blue shirt? But there'd be a reason for you to do the blue shirt. And that would bring everything to that present moment of time. And that discussion that could happen could be something that is of great value. Mm -hmm. What that is, I don't know at the moment. And the shirt <laughs> may be an irrelevant thing, but objects in general will do that. Right. It brings people to that present moment. And even if that moment has ceased to exist, you will remember the moment. Yeah. Therefore, the object is the, the signifier for the moment and the memory trace that you have about something that was wonderful. Wow. That's great. So tell us, take a sip, take a sippy sip. By the way, I'd like to um, plug for the listeners. I'm drinking an ice cold 72 pale ale in support of our partners at First Magnitude Brewing Company uh, here in Gainesville. So, yes, we're all on lockdown, but, you know, you can still buy cold beers. So go get you a cold beer. 
when I was doing a lot of soda firing and what the kind of surfaces I was looking for was influenced by the sunset looking out on the west coast of Florida, where I grew up in Bradenton, Florida, go out to Anna Maria Island and you the transition of color um, from the dark blue black of the Gulf of Mexico to the little white line that's at the horizon line and then moving up through the oranges. That was kind of the what I was drawn to in soda firing is trying to replicate that kind of idea. You have amazing surfaces on your pots. But why don't you talk a little bit about what soda firing is and why you were drawn to those kinds of surfaces in the process. Sure. Soda firing, um, soda firing if, if we're going to be brief here, soda firing is a process of essentially heating a kiln to the desired temperature, in this case, uh, 2,381 degrees Fahrenheit. And at that time, you introduce uh, sources of sodium. In this case, we use sodium carbonate and sodium bicarbonate. And we use those both in a solid form. Then we mix them with liquid. And that liquid allows us to introduce it to the kiln. And that uh, mixture is sprayed in the kiln as a liquid. And when it goes in the kiln at those temperatures, of course, it uh, volatilizes instantly into a gas, moves through the kiln. It's attracted to the free silica in your clay and your glaze. So it, that acts sort of like a magnet to the... Uh, sodium gas and it sticks to that gas and it instantly becomes like glass and then the kiln cools down and away we go but that's a pretty brief version of <laughs> yeah it's chemistry I. people yeah. <laughs> uh, however it there's a couple of things that are important here you're talking about color and I've, I've noticed this from for a long time uh, and that is the things that happen in the natural world can be awing the things that happen in the world that we create as, as uh, human beings mostly is not awing. <laughs> I mean, there are some things, you know, I mean, right now technology is pretty amazing. I, I have yeah. to give it that. What nature provides is something that when untouched by man is, has an undeniable beauty to it. And it's almost something you can't exactly explain, but you know, there's no one in the world that looks at a sunset and doesn't go, Ooh, I wish I was there. Right. And notice things like the color change, as you described, and, you know, the things that, the, you know, you can't really see in the image, which is really how blue the sky is still at that time to, mm -hmm. you know, balance between the orange and the yellow and the white and then back to the deepness of the ocean. So all of those things, when I found that there is a potential of those colors to exist in ceramics on a surface of a cup, <laughs> I put my whole hat in on that. Both mm. feet, everything went in. And I've searched for those colors. I still search for those colors. And they happen. You know, I mean, mm. you know, you've seen enough of my work. It happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. And when it's not exactly it, it's still pretty good. <laughs> but it's still not exactly the thing. And when you get to that thing where it really gets you, man, is it something else, you know? And the thing about color, remember, is about the natural world, right? right. So what happens in the natural world is all about chance. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we just had a tornado touch down uh, 150 yards from my house on Sunday night. Now, why? Why? I don't yeah. know. Chance, right? Mm -hmm. Well, soda firing, because of the process, there's this incredible loss of control, as you're aware. Mm -hmm. But you can't, uh, it's not like taking a brush and putting a flower on a pot. 
That's not what soda firing does. Soda firing licks its way through the kiln and touches the pots and uh, however that flame pattern is going to allow it to go through there or how much pressure is in the kiln or where the pots are located and all these sort of things. So again, there's this, this level of chance, right? And that level of chance, whether it's about what nature is doing or about how the potential of soda fire provides the same sort of thing and the potential of color, it, it makes us vulnerable. Mm. There's a level of vulnerability that exists in that process of soda firing and of making that comes from the handmade that gets me as close as I can get to this thing that's very untouchable. And, and that's happening in nature. That was amazing. Um, and I thought that that's a really fantastic place to kind of wrap it up. But so where can folks find out more information about you as a ceramic artist? Uh, uh, let's see. There's a couple of places out there. I have a website that's about uh, 6,000 years old. <laughs> that's pre-ceramic in the Florida archaeology world. And uh, nothing really changed on it much, but you can still see some things there. And that's at fullvictory.com fullvictory.com. I have work that's uh, for purchase if you're interested in looking at that, which would be obviously uh, recent work, and that would be at Red Lodge Clay Center in, in Red Lodge, Montana. Otherwise, uh, as you know, I'm a professor here at Ole Miss, so you could look at the Ole Miss Art Department website if you're so inclined. Cool. And I'll link to all that stuff in the um, episode show notes. All right. Well, thank you, Matt, for being on the Materialist Podcast. Thank you, Nigel. It was a pleasure <laughs> and a privilege. <laughs> well that was cool thank you matt again for being on the materialist podcast mini episode <laughs> i'm sheltering in place with a two-year-old toddler um at lunchtime so Forgive me, listeners. Uh, thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in to this little mini-cast, um, short-form podcast. It's it's kind of fun to do. Not a lot of stress, certainly not as much research as the bigger episodes. But on behalf of my regular co-host, Becky O'Sullivan from FPAN West Central, thank you very much. For more info on FPAN, the Florida Public Archaeology Network, please go to fpan.us. Big thanks again, as always, to Have Gun Will Travel for the use of their song. Uh, if you'd like more information on Have Gun Will Travel, please go to hgwtmusic.com. Give me a holler anytime at materialistpodcast at gmail.com and we're also on all the social medias again if you're looking for more info on matt long just google matt long ceramics you'll find tons of information on him all right y'all we'll catch you on the flippity flip <laughs>